Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to another Patreon bonus episode for the Prince Kai Fan Pod Patreon. Despite my scratchy voice, this is actually Bethany Finger, the host. <laughs> Joined today by the lovely Eva <laughs> from YA Book Chat. Hello, everybody. It's nice to be here again. Today, we are going to talk about Kiter. We're going to continue our um, episodes that we've been doing with the the ships, the various ships, and we're going to do Kai and Cinder. Um, Yay. It's the OG. (laughs) So I submitted, so I came up with my own questions and then I also have some questions from my beautiful Patreon members. So do you want to just dive in? Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to talk about this one too. Okay. So question number one, Kyder has a unique meet cute and it's pretty obvious that he is immediately intrigued. How does Cinder hiding her cyborg parts create tension in an otherwise perfect rom-com moment? Ooh, this is a very good question. Thank you. (laughs) So I was looking at this and I was like, I don't know how to answer that, (laughs) but let's see. Um, so it is a really adorable meet cute with her mm-hmm. at the booth. I think it just, it's just like, she's working so hard, like to try and hide her cyborg parts that right. it just kind of, it just, I mean, it kind of automatically just creates tension in that way because she's uncomfortable because she doesn't want them to see, or doesn't want him to see them. But she's also you know. standing on one foot when she could have, like, she doesn't want to sit down. So she's making herself physically uncomfortable as well. But don't we all do that sometimes in these situations? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I most definitely have. 100%. I mean, and you know, I think that part of it is like, she was already uncomfortable. Like, she had the heat. She had the heat going on. She's only got one foot. She's got the judgment of her neighbors she's like kind of lonely because Iko is gone she's feeling a little like not guilty but apprehensive because she knows if audrey finds out that she got a new foot she's gonna be pissed and then the prince shows up (laughs) it's like not a good day for a the handsome stranger to stop by of course not but that's always when it happens the most inconvenient time right of course (laughs) We're never ready. Right. And we never, we never get to be ready. Like it's, it's not always a, it's, you know, when you're having a good hair day, you never run into anyone, you know, and then when you're having a bad hair day and you're in sweatpants, everyone is at Walmart. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly. But I think, I mean, it's still, it's still really cute though. And Mm -hmm. I still, it's still like this great rom-com moment because, because of that because she's trying to like hide her foot and she she is uncomfortable and he's just all like, I need help with this. And I don't know how to fix this. And she's like, Oh my goodness. Slightly misogynistic. Right. Cause he's like, well, I was picturing a really old guy and she's like, thanks. Right. (laughs) Surprise. 
Like, no, it's a girl that's younger than you. (laughs) (laughs) It is still really cute though. I think actually like that's one of my favorite moments in that whole book is when Mm -hmm. they first meet. I just absolutely love it. It's just such a fun scene. I like it too, because like we meet Cinder and Kai at the same time in the story. Mm -hmm. Like we meet Cinder and then immediately meet Kai. And it's the same with um, Scarlet and Wolf. We meet Scarlet and then like Wolf is in the cafe. Like she meets him right away. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. So next question is. We all know there was an almost kiss on the elevator. Was it better that Marissa kept their first kiss saved for book three, or would it have been equally satisfying no matter when it occurred in the series? Oh, okay. I actually don't think that it would be equally satisfying no matter where it was, because Mm -hmm. if it happened right away, like you want it and that's satisfying, but because it takes longer to get to, I feel like it's more satisfying in book three because you've been waiting for it for so long. So then it's like, oh, finally. And that's amazing. I don't know. What do you think? I think, I think a hundred percent. I also like as a writer and a reader, I love almost moments. I love an almost Mm -hmm. kiss. I love an almost like declaration. I love when something empowering gets interrupted by life yes I love scenes like that I love it in movies I love it in writing I love it in books I love it um so having all of there and there's multiple of those throughout the first two books and the third book before we get our kiter kiss um but I love that scene because I feel like we're building up to something and then we get it kind of cut out from under us And it builds that tension even further. And now we have to wait, right? And it's like, well, will they, won't they for another book and another book? And I feel like there's, I feel like there's, there's a reason will they, won't they is such a a popular trope. Yeah. And it it really is because, I I mean, it just, because it builds so much tension, you know, Mm -hmm. and then that's what, I mean, that's what keeps you as a reader wanting more. Because you're like, oh, you know, I mean, you just get the hint of it. And then it's like, okay, so now I know that this is there and it's coming. And so now you have that more to look forward to. Yeah, I agree. And you get that moment of like, like I said, there's that tension, there's that buildup. And then it's like, no, we were all, we were so close. I know. Sometimes it drives me crazy. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Other times I'm okay with it. It just kind of depends on the book (laughs) and where I, I mean, it depends on on any given day. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also like how I feel about the characters too. So yeah, that plays a big component. Yeah. Yeah. What makes Kyder different than the other ships of the series? Okay. I think a big thing with them is that, okay, we know with Cress and Thorn, like mm-hmm. they could end up together, right? We know, well, I mean, we know Wolf and Scarlet are together. Like it's a done deal. They are like, <laughs> right? From the we beginning. Know that for sure. 
Right. Right. And we know like, you know, even we know like, even though it's complicated because of all the things that happen, we know there's a good chance for winter and Jason, but with Cinder and Kai, we, it seems like it's harder to know what's going to happen because, you know, as you go through the series, because he rules on earth and her kingdom is the moon. (laughs) So like, you have to think like, okay, what happens the whole series are thinking if she defeats Lavana and this works, then what, how are they going to be together? Because she'll be up there and he'll be down on earth. So I feel like it's, it's more complicated of a relationship in many ways than the other ones. And they, I think spend more time apart from each other than any of the other ones too. Um, I don't know about that. Because- I don't know. Wolf and Scarlet are separated for a very long time. Um, That's true. I will say what I think, what I think you're right about is the, the difference between their relationships is the will they, won't they is like a much bigger thing. It's not, you know, will they, won't they, because she, winter might get married off to someone else will they won't they because Cress and thorn might not be very as compatible as everybody wants them to be it's will they won't they because kai has to overcome years of prejudice against cyborgs and lunars and the fact that cinder lied to him and kept things from him cinder has to overcome mm-hmm. the entire concept of i don't want to be a queen let alone an empress And now you've got the logistics of, and this is one of the questions we'll talk about later, but like now you've got the logistics of, I've been in long distance relationships before. They are very difficult. And I can't imagine Mm -hmm. getting one from two different, you know, I guess, well, in this series, they consider Luna a planet, but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're literally in two different physical spaces in the universe. Like it's, so much bigger than long distance. It's like, and it's bigger than logistics. It's it's a literal, it is a, it's space. There is space separating them. <laughs> like that's huge. Literally. It's a, it's a polar, it's a, it's a polarizing predicament that cannot be solved mm-hmm. with one simple solution. There has to be multiple there are so many moving parts to what to why she's where she is and why he's where he is that in order for them to overcome those hurdles and be together in order for them to break down those boundaries and those barriers they have to manipulate a lot of their lives their countries and the lives of others in order for them to be together and that is what makes it so incredibly difficult to be like yep they will no they won't because and i think mm-hmm. we'll, like i said we'll talk about this later but one of them basically has to stop ruling their country. At some point, right. one of them is going to have to stop and move in with the other person. And that is huge. That impacts a lot. A lot. That impacts millions of people. Literally every person would be impacted by that, whether they're in that country or another one. So it's really, it's more a matter of will they, won't they, and what will it cost everyone else right there's a lot more at stake for the two of them than there is the other ones absolutely 
I mean, the other relationships may have hurdles to overcome, but they are nothing like the ones nothing that compared to, to yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Much more complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's basically what our next question is. What do we think life is like for Kiter as emperor and queen and how will their futures need to adjust if they want to end up together? I do think that the that stars above and the graphic novels and the COVID short story and Cinder's wedding adventure. I think Marissa does a good job of telling us that it takes a long time, but they do dissolve the monarchy of Luna and start having elected um, leaders. And so Cinder is able to kind of walk away from Luna and live a life on earth with Kai. But it's like we said, it's very complicated. Right. And I think that probably would be the easiest way to do it would be for her to walk away from that rather than Kai to walk away from ruling his empire because, you know, she can put a different, and that's what, that's what she said she wanted to do at the end of winter. And it would just be kind of once that's, you know, whole democracy is in place, that's a little bit easier to walk away from than Kai reigning in his kingdom. Yeah. Well, also she doesn't want it. She's never wanted it. Right. She's never wanted it. And we're never, I don't think we're ever given the impression that Kai doesn't enjoy being or doesn't want to be an emperor. He's very intimidated by the job and the concept. He takes it very seriously because he knows what's at stake. But I don't think we're given the impression that he doesn't want to do it. Right. I agree. It. I don't think so either. But she definitely does not want to. Right. And that's the difference, I think. I agree. Yeah. Okay. What are the tropes of Kiter? Forbidden love, star-crossed lovers. He fell first. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of like strangers to friends to lovers. Right? Long distance. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> That's, there's not, I mean, it's hard when it comes to like, well, what are the tropes? But those are the ones I think of. Me too. I agree. I think those are those are it for the most part. Why are Kai and Cinder so well suited for one another? Hmm. Well, they are both without parents. <laughs> so yeah. they both know what that's like. Yeah, that's true. You know, so they can they can relate to each other on that level. Yeah. I mean, they both I'm trying to think of how to say this. <laughs> um, they both have things that are expected of them. You know, like Kai is the emperor. So things have to be done a certain way. And people expect the country to be run a certain way right? and for him to get right. married, but right. to marry a certain type of person. And, you know, when it's discovered who Cinder is, you know, the expectation for her, I mean, that she feels like too, and she feels the pressure of is that she take her rightful place as ruler of Luna. 
So they have these, they both have these like expectations and a lot of pressure on them in different ways too. So they can help each other and relate to each other in these ways. Right. I think also they are, I think that they're two sides of, of a similar coin, but not the same one. You know, you have Kai who's been mm-hmm. trained to be a leader his whole life, but never thought to question anything. And then you have Cinder who's never been trained to be a leader. And so she questions everything. I'm thinking specifically mm-hmm. of when Kai first like stepped into his role and was like, wait, why do we have all this cyborg medical laws and stuff? It never occurred to him to think about that stuff. It never occurred to him to look deeper into the laws and regulations of his country until he met someone who who showed him that, that there are hidden horrors in his in his own country. It's not the, the perfect place that he thinks it is. Um, and I think that Kai does the opposite for Cinder. I think he shows her you know, the logistics of being a leader, like helping her write those speeches and poking holes when she comes up with like her genius plans. And he's like, yeah, actually, here's a really obvious flaw that you're not seeing. Um, I think as, as rulers, that's, you know, how they bring out the best in each other. But I think as individual people, they also have two very different perspectives, you know, Kai is very optimistic and Cinder is very pessimistic. I think there's a misconception that like, if you're optimistic, you're naive. And if you're pessimistic, you're bitter, but really it's just people who look at the world through varying levels of reality. And I think that if you have Mm -hmm. one person who's optimistic and one person who's pessimistic, you kind of balance each other out. You have one person who's always trying to look for the silver lining and you have the other person who's always prepared for the worst. I think that, right. that's a good balance for each other. I agree. This is, okay, so I wouldn't, this is going to sound weird. <laughs> Ready? Um, so my husband and I are almost like this. Oh, because, yeah? Yeah, because he will a lot of times see things more from a negative viewpoint Like he'll think like, well, this person probably thinks this about me and this is, you know, not good, but I don't really care. Or like, you know, this could be the bad thing. This, he sees more than negative, but he'll say, and I'll, and I'll say, you can't think of it that way. You have to look at the positive side of it. And he'll say, I'm just being a realist. I'm like, but no, but there is realism, but there's also this other thing that could happen. (laughs) So he and I are definitely like that and, and do, it does, we do balance each other out in that way. Yeah. I can see where that would, I think Quentin and I are, are not, we're not both pessimistic or optimistic. It depends on the situation. Um, I try to be optimistic, but life has given me a lot of really bad curveballs over the last few years. And it's kind of um, caused me to be more pessimistic than I would have in my, in my younger years. Um, Mm -hmm. But Quentin is not that he's like optimistic. It's more that he plays devil's advocate. He looks, Mm. he looks at everything. He looks in every perspective he can think of to try and gauge and measure every situation. So it's not necessarily that he's optimistic or pessimistic. He's just like very observant and calculated. 
in a, in a good way, not in like a take over the world kind of way. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they balance each other out. Yeah. Okay, some questions from Patreon. <laughs> in between the end of Cinder and the end of Cress, Kai thinks that his feelings for Cinder were a lunar trick. But then after he asks Cinder about it and she says no, he kisses her. What do we think about this? Was it too soon? Or do you think Kai didn't believe the lunar control theory that deeply? I don't think he believed it that deeply. I think I think he was... I think he felt a lot of conflicting emotions. Like, well, you know, I'm not supposed to hate lunars. So the only reason I liked her must have been a trick. Or also, like, it takes the rejection a little... It makes the rejection easier to take if you can say, like, oh, well, it was all a trick anyways. It wasn't real. Yeah, I agree completely. That's what I think, too. And it could it could also just be, like, um, maybe, like, a moment of lack of self-confidence, too. Yeah. You know, like, Absolutely. I want this to be true, but maybe it's not. So I just need to double check on this. Yeah, I agree. So I think, yeah, yeah. Is Kai getting over the lunar thing just a thing with book pacing and he needed to be over it in order for the story to move on? I think it goes back to what we just said. I don't think he believed it all that deeply. I think he wanted to see the good in her. And I think mm-hmm. he always wanted to like be with her, to kiss her, to feel that connection with her. So I think it was just a matter of like, well, now we're in the same place at the same time and we're not trying to kill each other. And I know that you're not lying anymore. So there's nothing holding me back now. Right. And I think he just needed time to absorb it too. Right. You know, because it was a shock when he finds out. And so, and then he realizes she's been lying to him. And so he just needs, as any of us would, you just need time to absorb that and process it first and then be like, okay, this is fine. Let's move on. Right. Yeah, I agree. Do you think one of the reasons he fell for Cinder is because she didn't fangirl over him being a prince and saw him as a real person? And um, well, I'm, I'll ask the next half of that question. I think that this is the whole, I'm not like other girls thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not like other oh, girls. Man. <laughs> That's what this is. That's what this feels yeah. like to me. This this feels like an I'm not like other girls moment. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think. I think it gave him a challenge that she didn't fangirl immediately. I think he expected all teen girls to have a certain um, expectation when interacting with him. And so it it was like, you know, a surprise. But and maybe it made him work harder for her attention. But I don't know if um, the fangirling would have stopped it. Because how many celebrity stories are there where guys fell in love with their fans or girls fell in love with their fans? Like it, it happens. Yeah, it does. So I don't think, I don't think that necessarily would have stopped it either, but maybe it, maybe it gave him more of a challenge, you know? Yeah. So like, it gave him a reason to look a little deeper, I think, instead of being like, oh, she's just another girl. Like he's, he looked a little closer. 
And it was probably more of like a breath of fresh air too, yeah. to not be fangirled all over and be like, oh, somebody who treats me like a human finally. And she, you know, that goes beyond when they first meet. She never treats him like an emperor. She's constantly like, oh, I shouldn't have said that because you know, he's royalty. Um, and that might be like, just immediately, he, you know, he probably spends his whole life hearing like different variations of compliments as opposed to anyone other than perhaps Torin challenging him or questioning him. It's just, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then he doesn't know if it's real or not. So at least with Cinder, he knows that it's not, right. you know, it's not fake. She is always real with him. Like that is She's one real with thing. everybody. That is, oh yes, you know. And I mean, yeah. she kidnaps him, so there's that too. Yeah, which is fun. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so she's definitely different. <laughs> so then the other part of that question is: Do you think it's possible to have a healthy relationship with this non-affected trope? So. I'm not entirely certain what the question is. Is the question saying like you can have a good relationship if it starts as a fangirl? I was okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me because I was also not quite sure what they were asking there either. <laughs> um, do you think it's possible to have a healthy relationship without this non-affected trope? Maybe, I- maybe the question is do you think it's health that you can have a healthy relationship if it was her fangirling over him? I mean, yeah, because otherwise any celebrity would never be able to fall in love and be happy. Right. It wouldn't work because even, even like celebrities who are with other celebrities. Okay. I take it to Taylor Swift, of course. <laughs> I just, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I, well, because like I just saw this because, you know, she was just named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And I, I saw, a, of course, and I saw this snippet of the article where she's talking about Travis Kelsey and how, you know, they started talking and dating like a couple of months before she went to that first game and they became public. And it was just really cute how they first started talking because it was, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was something like he, she went to the Eagles game. No, he went to, this is where, this is where he went to Natalie comes in handy. Not that being friends with Natalie doesn't always come in handy, but she like dissects things and then gives me information. So I don't have to research anything. He went to a Taylor Swift concert and made her bracelets and never got the chance to meet her and give her the bracelets. That's what it was. Yeah. And I was like, that's the cutest thing. Right. And that's, you know, like, and so, I mean, in a way it's like him kind of fangirling over her and look, you know, it's working. So I think, yeah, it can totally work. There's also a level of there's when you get to a certain level Everyone is going to be a fangirl of some extent. She's Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. No matter who she dates or falls in love with from here on out, they know who she is. Mm-hmm. It, it would be extremely unlikely for her to meet and fall in love with someone who's never heard of her and doesn't know or understand the magnitude of an impact she has on pop culture. So, right. You know, 
to a certain extent, I mean, he's the prince, he's the future emperor. It's like William and Kate falling in love. Like, you know, yeah, right. She was a prince and she, they went to college together, but he was always the prince and she always knew he was the prince. Like there was, there was always that component there. I don't, I'm not saying right. that they're not, in love and they don't care about each other. I would never say that. I'm just saying like, once you're a famous person and that fangirl, whether it's like, you know, at a level 10 or a level one, it's there. It's just to what extent. I don't think she's a fangirl in terms of like, you know, the scary stalker kind, but she, <laughs> she knew who he was. She admitted to having a, a crush on him. She just didn't want to admit it out loud. Like, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think yeah. if the question is, can you have a healthy relationship with a fan with someone who's a fan of yours before you meet them yes i think it just depends mm-hmm. on to the varying degree of fandom you know like if they're a a bystander fan who just wanted to give you a bracelet at a concert yes if they're stalking you and sneaking into your home i'm gonna go with no and call the police no <laughs> yeah exactly i think that there's just a varying degree and some you know we have to draw a line somewhere there's boundaries right agreed yeah okay is crest with thorn the opposite of cinder and kai if you're going back to the whole fangirl thing kind of because crest yeah. definitely was a fangirl there's no other word for it oh, she was yeah. a fangirl of carswell <laughs> but crest is a perfect example of the dream versus the reality Yes, exactly. She is. Yeah. Because because, because the facade of Captain Carswell Thorne crumbled very quickly, but she saw, mm-hmm. but because she was a fangirl, like she already saw the good in him. So he slowly replaced all of the negative things he did without even realizing it. Like I'm thinking specifically of they're in the desert and he's like, none of this stuff is true. And then, or they're on the, I think it was on the ship, actually. I'm sorry. And he was like, okay, all these things you think about me that are really cool are actually a lie. They're not true. And she's like, okay, but what about all this stuff you've done since I met you? Maybe Mm -hmm. she would not have been able to see that good in him. Maybe she wouldn't have looked for it, I guess, if she hadn't already been a fan girl. Right. No, I agree. She was able to see it. So even though what he had done before wasn't real. She didn't care because she had gotten to know him as he is and saw all the right. other things that he had done. Right. And it didn't matter what he was famous for because she saw who he was as a person. So, I mean, right. I think, I think as long, I think it more depends on the people than if there's a fan girl or fan boy um, origin to, to it. Yeah. Okay, this is the last question from Patreon. Do we think Cinder's big sacrifice to warn Kai at the ball instead of running away was necessary besides for tension and deeper plot reasons? Um, um, I feel like yes. there's a lot of different answers to this. I know. I agree. But... If she, I mean, she loves him, right? So she's going to want to warn him. So in that way, it's necessary. I mean, that's kind of the obvious one on top. I would venture anyone in her predicament would not have ran away. 
whether they had a crush on him or not. You're talking about the leader of your country. And in this country, they all seem to be very um, devoted to their empire. Like they, they all seem in favor of their leaders. Um, Right. But you're, you're talking about the, the leader of your country is in danger and you have a way to warn him. I feel like even if you're not a fangirl, even if you're like just some dude who got the wrong text message, you would want to do something about it. So I don't necessarily think that she could have run away, especially with her being the protagonist of our story. So I think it has, (laughs) I mean, obviously it was written for plot point. It was written for tension, but I think the sacrifice was, was inevitable because it would have been anybody. I think anybody would have done that, not just Cinder. I think there's a large margin of people who would have done the same thing. Right. And if, I mean, if you have the power to help and to warn somebody, you should do it. And if she hadn't, right. I think that would have haunted her and she would have felt really guilty about it too. Right. I mean, so, what's, yeah. Yeah. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> okay. Lastly, where does Tider rank on your TLC ships list? Okay. I am embarrassed to answer this question, but here it is. They're actually at the bottom. (laughs) Same. Oh my goodness. And I almost feel like guilty saying it, but they are. And I don't know why I think it's like, I don't know if it is because there are so many hurdles and obstacles and because they have are separated for a while. And because then at the end of winter, they're not like together, together, because they're separated by so much space. Like, I don't know what it is, but I just, I have them at the bottom. I just feel like the other ones pulled at my heartstrings more and in different ways. And so, um, so for me, they are, they're at the bottom of the list. I think that there's a level of unrealisticness that's hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, you know, we find out that years and years of struggle later, the two of them end up together because she, you know, dissolves her monarchy. Um, But I I think the level of unrealistic expectations for that relationship is what makes it hard, not to necessarily like hard to root for them, but it makes it hard to expect a happy ever after for them. You're talking about two people Mm -hmm. that might love each other at the wrong time. You know, um, my favorite is, is Wolflet. I've made that pretty clear. Um, I love the, the friends to lovers of winter and Jason, probably because I'm a friends to lovers. Um, I love Cress Mm -hmm. and Thorne. I think they have such a sweet story where he kind of becomes a little bit more optimistic and she kind of becomes a little bit more, pessimistic as they get to know each other and then they balance each other out. Um, But I do Mm -hmm. think that it's just the level of reality in their relationship makes it hard to have confidence when you're rooting for them. Like you want to root for them. You want them to have that happily ever after. But at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. she rules the moon and he rules on earth. And that's a really big obstacle. And there's a level of will this ever work out? you know, there's a, there's a, will they, won't they component to relationships that's very um, desirable, right? That's why we see it over and over and over again in film and books and TV. But 
Mm-hmm. You have to assume that at some point they will. And so you're always looking forward to the moment where they will. There is enough. There are enough hurdles in this relationship that there is a very high possibility of a won't or someone giving up a lot. Right. Someone is making a I mean, really that's the sacrifice. only way. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way that it will work. Right. So, so I think, I think I mean, that's my why they fall so low on some people's scales. Yeah. It's hard. And there, you know, and I've read other books like this too, where there's a relationship that you're rooting for and you want them to be together. And they do have these moments where they are together, but there is an obstacle like this where, you know, this just isn't feasible. It's just not yeah, going to happen feasible because a good word for the it. world that they live in. Yeah. Feasible is a great and, word you know, for it. And so it's like, yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, okay, you know, I accept it as a reader as much as, and I'll take, it's like, I, I will take what I can get of them being together and right. then we will move on because this is not a Hallmark movie. Right. So <laughs> things are going to end differently. I want to clarify though, that like, just because they, they wind up at the bottom doesn't mean that I don't, you know, root for them. It doesn't mean that I don't think they love each other or care about right. each other. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, get really happy when they have their big moments together. I think it's just, if I have to rank them, that's where they fall. Um, because somebody has to be first and somebody has to be last. And it's hard to, to put people, it's hard to rank things in that order when you'd really, when you're being so subjective, you know? Um, right. No, but I agree. I think that if was, I if I have to give a reason for why they're at the bottom, it's not because I don't love them. It's not because I don't root for them. It's not because I don't think that they're, you know, good for each other or compatible or healthy. It's like you said, I don't think it's feasible. Yeah. So you can't, I mean, it's like reading Heartless. Like, yeah, you know, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. Although I do love them very much, but you root for them all the way through, but you know that it's just not going to happen in the end because you know the end of that story. So it's just kind of like you come to terms with it as the reader and you understand that. Yeah. Yeah. You have no other condition matter. Yeah. And I, you know, I rooted for Cinder and Kai too. I just knew that realistically that may not happen. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think that's it. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? No, I think that covers a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. I always love doing these episodes with you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to keep going as we get further into the series and do more. Um, more ships of Marissa's. So we've got all these wonderful books coming up. I'm excited for more of the books coming up. So yes, me too. Okay. Well now do you want to plug your podcast or do we think everyone on Patreon knows who you are by now? Oh, I'm pretty sure they all know who I am by now. (laughs) (laughs) If they don't, thank you for being here then. Um, I don't really know how to close out. I, I guess, um, I guess it's it's okay to be a fangirl. That's what I would say. It's okay to be a fangirl. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. All right. Well, thank you very much, and I will talk to you later. All right. Bye. 